Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the rains and the wind and the snow. Lord, and thank you for um, places that you have given us for shelter and for refuge. And thank you that this is one of those places where we could come and we can find security from the storms, not only on the outside in this world, but the storms that we have inside our own hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would breathe your calm and peace into us, that you would open our ears, that we might be able to hear you. Lord, that you would um, open up any gates or walls or fences we have um, put in front of you to block you from our hearts, Lord, and that you would come, come and dwell in here with us. And we pray that you would speak to us today, Lord. Help me to be faithful in proclaiming your good news, and we pray that you would give us fertile ground in our hearts to receive it. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Now this morning as I was uh, getting up and getting ready to come over to church, I saw a note that had been kind of just floating around on our counter for a few days. And it's, it was one, uh, it's a very simple one. It's the bottom of like a sheet of paper um, torn off and it has in marker a heart, a red heart, and it says you, right? What does that mean? Love you, right? And uh, this is, I know it's from my wife, right? How do I know it's from my wife? Her handwriting, right? Her handwriting, absolutely. Um, not that I'm like really great at discerning handwriting, but it, you know, like I've seen the, her handwriting quite a bit. And it's sweet, isn't it? I mean, there's so little, it's a, it's a picture and a word, right? And yet it's very important and significant uh, and very thoughtful of her to leave this just on the counter so we could find it. Now, who's it written for? <laughs> Right? You know, we assume it's for us. Like, I assume it's for me, and I assume it's for our girls to find on the counter and just to hear, you know, Tara's voice saying, I love you. Like, we assume that. Um, it's not directly, you know, listed right there, but, like, we know it's for us. And context tells us that, right? Context makes it clear to us that this is a note for us um, from her. Now, if I found a note that said these had a you know a heart graphic and uh, you on the on it on the rolling down the sidewalk would I assume it was for me? No, no why not? Because context tells me it's probably somebody else's, right? It fell out of their pocket or blew out the, the door of their car when they got out in the storm or something like that. I wouldn't assume it was for me. And especially if I didn't recognize the handwriting. So Context is important and intent is important when we're, you know, trying to understand modes of communication, right? There's all kinds of things that are communicating with people in the world all the time, but most of them, because of context and intent, we pay no attention to, right? How many of you read a newspaper from a place you don't live in and have no interest in this morning? No? Nobody? No? And how many of you like read in the last week a stock report from a fund that you don't have any interest in or investment in and don't really care about? Nobody really? I, I'm stunned, right? No, we don't do that. We would never do that. And how many of you read bureaucratic reports from foreign lands that you don't know anything about and are not interested in? Just for fun, right? The Sri Lanka like bureaucratic review or something. No, we don't do that, right? We don't do that because why? 
contextually it's not significant. It's not relevant to your life where you are now. That's not saying it couldn't be in some way, right? You have no idea what the future might hold, but I mean, we're surrounded by information and most of it really has very little to do with us. And so we focus on those things that are addressed to us, that are significant in our life, like a note on the counter, right? But today, today we're confronted by a book, a book that was written thousands of years ago, which, according to Paul, is written for us. So let's jump into this. This is the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, and it begins with what I consider to be a staggering message. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, to, this might not seem that significant to us or that amazing to us. I mean, we've, most of us have been raised in a world in which we're used to opening up the Bible and considering it to be God's word for us, right? Is that fair enough to assume? Most of us grew up in a church where the scriptures were read every Sunday, families where we read the Bible, you know, just it was something that was for us. We assumed it was for us. Now, take yourself out of your context and put yourself in the shoes of a brand new Christian in Rome in the first century, right? You've maybe never even seen any of the Old Testament scriptures, right? You grew up with your pantheon of Roman gods. And that's what you know. And suddenly Paul is coming to you and saying, hey, all those scriptures which were given to the Jewish people, all of those that revealed word of God that was given to them, the promises, the hopes, the, the prophecies, all of that, that was written for you too. That's amazing, isn't it? That's a really different thing than you were probably expecting to hear that morning as a first century Roman person, right? It's a new message. He's saying that Genesis, Psalms, Joshua, Isaiah, Joel, even Leviticus were written for those followers of Christ to be instructed, encouraged, and to have hope. To have hope. With that point stated, Paul makes an interesting jump to discuss harmonious living. Uh, he says, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now this is really interesting, and it seems kind of like he's doing an aside from his point about the that, you know, everything, all the scriptures are for you. But I think this could be uh, used as a support of that or a description, rather, of that. Because just as the Bible, and if it applies to Gentiles as well as to Jews, reveals a harmony, and if the New Testament and the Old Testament are harmonized with one another and seem to both be revealing the plan of God to save the world, right, then that should be reflected in the Christian community where Christians should be in harmony with one another. It's helpful that we have a choir. They help us get in better harmony with each other when we sing, right? But harmony is not simply getting along, is it? Right? Harmony is this deeper understanding of, of caring about one another in finding unity in, in profound ways in our lives. And, uh, and 
ultimately in finding the ability to worship God together, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to have a common testimony about who God is and what he calls us to. And then Paul uh, expresses the importance, I think it comes out of this idea of harmony, um, but also I think it is connected with the idea of um, people being grafted into the kingdom of God and being welcomed in, because he picks up with this theme of welcoming. He says, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So the Christians in Rome in the first century were to be welcoming to one another. They were to be um, to invite others in, to be kind, to be gracious, because they had been welcomed in themselves. They had been outsiders. They had been outcasts. And God had brought them in. He'd opened up the gates and allowed them to come in and be a part of this community, a part of this family. And therefore, the people who had been welcomed in should be welcoming to others. There's a human tendency, right, to um, come in the door and then to close the door behind us. Isn't there? Right? Us four no more close the door. I love that statement. Um, You know, we have a tendency to want to form our club and like these are the people we like and we know and we're a little afraid of people on the outside. But Paul is saying, open the doors. Welcome them in. You have been welcomed in as well. So you should as well welcome others. And then he says... For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Okay, so um, Jesus has welcomed us and the way he has welcomed us is by becoming a servant. Uh, We know this, this is written all over the New Testament and the Old Testament, that Jesus, that the Messiah would be a servant of all. And Jesus certainly showed that, in that he chose to come and not lord it over us, but came and served. This is most clearly revealed at the Last Supper when Jesus took off his outer garment and knelt down and washed the feet of the disciples. Right? The, one who, who was, the one who was God, the one who reigns in glory, deigned to take the role of the lowest of servants, to care for his disciples. And in the same way, we also are called to, and the church in the first century was called to be servants, welcoming others. Not just welcoming them because you hope to get something from them, but welcoming them so that you can serve them as well. Paul explains also in these verses just quoted the significance of what Jesus Christ did is that on behalf of the, that Jesus became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs with the result that the Gentiles could come in and receive God's mercy. So Paul is emphasizing that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies of God. And it's those prophecies and those promises that Paul immediately begins to quote. He says, therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing, your, and sing praises to your name. That's from 2 Samuel. So Paul is saying, look, we see in 2 Samuel the seeds of the Gentiles being brought into this faith, in this fellowship. Because David was saying that he would confess the name of God among the Gentiles. 
right? There was this hope that the message would not stay within this small group of people in a small part of the world, but that it would go out, that it would become viral and spread out through all of creation. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, we are told, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So Gentiles are called on to rejoice in the God of Israel with his people as well. We see the seeds of that invitation there to come and worship this God. Likewise, in Psalms, we are told, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Right? The call, the command is to praise God, not just for the Jews, but for all of the people. Every person is called to praise God. And finally, the root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now, when he says the root of Jesse, he's talking about the descendant of David because Jesse was David's father. And so then you've got David, and the promise of David was that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. So we see here in Isaiah that the promise was given not just for the Jews, but that Jesus would expand that promise to the Gentiles as well. That the hope would not be stuck with this one people, but rather would go out to all people. And because of this, because that message of the good news has spread out to all the kingdoms of the world and all are welcome to come and find redemption and healing and life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Because of that, Paul closes with a benediction, which you will um, notice is actually at the end of our service. It's incorporated into our final blessing. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's word for us, his word of blessing, his word of peace, his word of love. And earlier I spoke about a word of peace and a word of love, that note from Tara that had been left on the counter for, our, for us in our house. And that was clearly localized in its application, right? She certainly loves you all too, right? But that note was intended for us, right? But imagine walking down the street and finding a note blowing down the street, which was for you, right? And it was profoundly for you. It was amazingly for you. How would that be to open this up, have that piece of paper just wrap itself around your shin in the wind, and then you pick it up and look at it, and it's a letter written to you? Wouldn't that be miraculous and amazing? You weren't looking for it, you weren't seeking it out, and yet there it was, it had found you. That's what the Word of God is for us. It's like that note that's blown down the street, and it's found its way to us. And we, in this happy coincidence of grace, have received it and seen the words of God, His words of love for us. His words of mercy, forgiveness, his words of hope and salvation. We were not looking for it, and we definitely did not deserve it, and yet God has given it to us. He has left this message for us. This is an outpouring of his grace that we have his holy scriptures. 
And it's from this place of abounding in hope and joy and peace that we come to when we find faith in Jesus Christ through the word of God, that we turn our eyes outward to the world. Because these words of Paul to the Christians in Rome, there are words too. And so just as for his audience, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so too and more so is it true for us. Because we have not only the words of Moses and Samuel and David and Isaiah in the Old Testament, but we also have the words of Paul and Peter and John and James in the New Testament. We have so much that God wants to say to us that is right there before us. These words are given, for, given us for our instruction, but also, according to Paul, so that we might have hope. And it's hope that we need so badly. We need hope, that most precious and ephemeral of gifts. We need hope. So today, as we look forward to the return of Jesus, may we be filled with the hope of Christ. And may his hope guide us to lives of welcome, lives of service, lives of harmony, lives of joy, and lives of peace. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for being the God of hope and mercy. Thank you, Lord God, that your promises did not stop with a particular group of people in a small part of the world, but that they spread out. And they went um, by, the, by the voices of so many people that traveled around the world, Lord. And ultimately, those promises blew up against us, Lord. And we found you. Thank you for being the God who extends grace to all people. Lord, not merely to those who have figured life out and gotten it all together, but Lord, to the broken, to the needy, to the hurting, to the lost. Lord God, we turn to you now and give you thanks and praise. Thank you for the message of salvation in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, that we are made righteous, not by our actions, but by your redeeming blood, which covers us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us, since we have been recipients of so wonderful a grace, to be people who extend grace to others, people who are generous and kind and thoughtful and faithful and who live in harmony with one another. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <laughs>